I remember being in high school, and especially as a senior in high school, I was very much concerned with how to live rightly uh, with God, uh, primarily for this reason, because I figured if I lived rightly, God would be pleased. If God was pleased, he'd help me out on Friday night football. <laughs> now, that, that was, there, there was a lot of reasons why I wanted to, to be right with God, but one of them, because I was hoping he'd give me a little something, something on the back end on Friday night. Uh, and, and so I, it, I, I've, I've wondered for a long time the relationship between my behavior and, being, and me being right with God and his response to what I do and being good to me that way. And I don't know if anybody else have, wa- have wondered about that, um, but that leads us to one of the attributes that we need to talk about this morning about who God is, and that is God's righteousness and being righteous. One of the most important questions mankind can ask was asked of Job in the Old Testament, Job chapter 9, verse 2. And Job asked this question, how can man be righteous before God? One of the most important questions that one can ask, how does man become right before God? I'm going to share with you why, why this is, is an, one of the reasons why this is an important question. One reason why it's important to, to know how one becomes right with God is because of what hangs in the balance. One of the things that hangs in the balance in Psalm 5, verse 12, the Bible says this, Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. So, so if we just stop it right there, apparently, in order to be blessed by God, one has to be Righteous. Do you understand now why I want to make sure I did everything right Monday through Thursday? Because I need the blessing on Friday night, right? And the writer of Psalm 5 goes on and says, You, God, surround the righteous with your favor as with the shield. So if you want God to surround you with his favor like a shield, isn't it important to know how to be right with him? Do you understand? You understand why this is such an important question? How do we become right with God? Before we address any other issue surrounded around the righteousness of God and what it means to be right, we have to deal with this first question. How does one be right? So let me define for you what righteous means. Righteousness is uh, the attribute of being righteous is, is purely and wholly owned by God. And what it means, it means to be right or to be virtuous. God is completely and fully right and completely and fully virtuous. It means that all God's ways are right, and God is both the essence and the very being of rightness. So it means for God to be righteous. Now, as as a corollary to that, there's implications for those who would follow God. And because God is righteous, then in following God, those of us who choose to follow God, then it includes ethical conduct of the followers of God. So righteous is both who God is and the implications of the ethical conduct of those who follow him. We're in this, the, the portion of God's attributes that called the, the communicable attributes, those attributes that we can understand of God and start to emulate, though minimally, ourselves. And one of those is the idea of being righteous. Now, I want us to be very careful to keep something in mind as we talk about this idea of righteousness. 
we must be mindful to keep the Bible about God as its primary focus. The Bible is about God, it's not about us. The Bible is not an instruction book for life, nor is it an instruction book for how society is cured of its ills. The Bible is the revelation of God about God start to finish. It is not about you and it's not about me. Though there are implications in the Bible about how we live and how we move and act in the world, and there are implications in the Bible about how to cure society's ills, the Bible is first and foremostly start to finish about God, not about us. Am I clear? The Bible is about who God is. It is the revelation of God after Jesus came to earth as the word of God living amongst us and lived amongst us and was crucified and resurrected and sent back to heaven. God has left us with his written word that is the revelation of him. Everything we need to know about God can be known of God through this. This is about him. It's not about us. And one of the common mistakes of common understandings and interpreting of the Bible is that the Bible is about us and how to live when it is not. There's instructions in it about how to live, certainly, only as it's a reflection of God. This is something we've got to understand because so many people approach the Bible and they just want to know, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Tell me how I'm supposed to behave. Give me the list of do's and don'ts. And that's not what the Bible's intended to provide. It's the written revelation of who God is. Let's be careful not to immediately, when we talk about righteousness, make righteousness about our behavior. Let's be careful to make the point of the Bible and the point of God's righteousness not about us. It cannot fall to our personal imperatives nor social justice as its primary source and meaning. It is about God and his righteousness. So this is really foundational, what I'm about to tell you as we talk about the righteousness of God. We must first and foremostly endeavor and strive to know and understand God. Because in the light of who God is, we then live as reflections of God in a dark world. If we go to this and say, God, give me some insight as to how I'm supposed to live, this will forever be a rule book. And all of us know that we hate rules. Right? So when this becomes about God and I understand God and I know God and I take it from here to here and here to here, then I can live as a reflection of what I understand about God in a world rather than follow a list of rules. It's about God. And in order to live as reflections of God in the world, we have to understand how was one made right with him. See, if we cannot be right with God, we are hopeless to live as reflections of God. So we have to understand who God is. And part of who God is is completely unholy righteous. And once, that under, once that's understood, God then becomes the focus, not us. God then becomes the focus and who he is, not who we have to become. And when God is the clear focus, God's people who follow him then can reflect him because they can clearly see him. See, God is righteous. Mankind is not. And so it gets us back to our very important question. 
How does unrighteous man become right with righteous God? It's one of the most important questions we can ask. And until we understand who God is as the righteous God, we will never, ever be able to reflect that in the world. So the focus this morning has got to be on God's righteousness, not on how we live righteously. Take the focus on how you live righteously and let's start getting the focus on God's righteousness. After all, understand what the Bible says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his what? It doesn't say seek God's kingdom and your righteous living. It doesn't say seek God's kingdom and your right living. It doesn't say seek God's kingdom and your right way of going about Seek the kingdom and his righteousness and all that other stuff will come. But here's the problem. This is the problem with church people. And I know because I've been been a part of church people for a long time. Our problem is we want to know how we're supposed to live. I got to know what am I supposed to do, what am I not supposed to do. And, 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 and 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 the focus is all about us. And trying to do the right things and not do the wrong things. And as long as that's the focus, two things happen. We miss who God is and we end up living by a set of rules and we can't bear it. See, if I look primarily at how to live righteously, if that's my focus in talking about righteousness... If I don't first realize God's righteousness and how to be made right with God, if I like primarily at my responsibility to live righteously, my best efforts to live rightly will either lead to dry religion or social programs. And neither of those is what the Bible has intended. Do you understand? Do do I have the drums over there that Miranda bought the kids? I think those are great drums. John, will you make sure that they're not drumming while I'm preaching? Because I feel like I'm going to preach good. So, so, So let's address the question. How does an unrighteous person become right with a righteous God? Let's ask that question. Rather than how does one live rightly? Rather than how does righteous living affect justice in the world, rather than how does righteous living affect my, rather than, let's just look at who God is and how an unrighteous man can be right with a righteous God. Let's start there because that's what the Bible is about. And Paul addresses that very issue. And Paul writes in Romans 4, what then shall we say about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh discovered in this matter? Now, let me explain to you what's happening here. Paul is going back to the beginning of the Jewish people. And he's saying, let's, let, let's understand where this whole thing started and how it got going. And about what Abraham understood about this matter. About what matter? Well, something that Paul already introduced the chapter prior In chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, Paul introduces this idea. But now apart from the law, righteousness of God, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ, all who believe. He's saying, uh, now, apart from the law, 
the righteousness of God has been made known. Here's what the, the law was a set of list of rules of do's and don'ts. And Paul is saying, you all obeyed the list of rules of do's and don'ts in order to make you right with God. He's saying, apart from the list of do's and don'ts, there is a way to be right with God. And the way to do that is through faith in Jesus. Here's the correlation. You and I too come to church and come to religion and uh, trying to live by a set of rules of do's and don'ts. Right? And Paul's saying there is a way to righteousness apart from the rules of do's and don'ts. That has to do with faith. And he's saying Abraham discovered this. Apparently, one can be right with God by faith and not by behavior. You can be right with God through faith, not by works, not by behavior. Now, let me, let me explain a little bit more two words that we have to get when we talk about righteousness. One is the word righteous. Righteous, as far as we're concerned now, as far as humanity's concerned, righteous means that we've been legally declared right after being examined by God. Now, for, imagine if God were to examine your life. God brings the expectation of perfection. And so let's just say that God says, okay, here we go. We're going to look under every rock. We're going to turn every page. We're going to look at everything from your moment of, of, of birth until where you are. And let's just lay your life out before. How many of us would fare well? Would any of you be willing to stack your life up to God's inspection? Not in the slightest. But righteous means that he has examined us and declared us right. Why would he do that? Very closely related to the word righteous is the word justification. Righteousness and justification go hand in hand. Justification means to continually be cleared of all charges. So not only are you in right standing, now you're continually cleared of all charges. Here's how this looks. In our world, in our judicial system, one can be in good standing with the court, but still have charges on the record. Let's say you committed some heinous crime. You can do your time. You can pay the recompense, whatever that might be, but still have charges on your record and that affect your future. But with God, both righteousness and justification means you are in good standing with the court of God and now there's no record even of your past that's justification and these two go hand in hand and how does one then gain righteousness and justification obviously we got to be good people that's what religion says and so Paul goes back to Abraham and he says let's start from the beginning of our people how was he declared right? If he's the, how was he declared righteous? How was one made right with God? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he'd have something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Bible say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, the one who works, Wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. We understand that, right? You go to work for this job, they get your paycheck, you get your paycheck, you don't think, yeah, that's a great gift. You think, I always do that. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. 
Paul explains how we are right with God as unrighteous man and righteous God. And he goes back to Abraham, and later he'll introduce another man to us from the Old Testament. That'll give us another insight as to how to be right with God. For now, he says, let's start with Abraham. And he says Abraham was declared right with God because he believed. What did he believe? Well, Paul's going all the way back to Genesis 15. And in Genesis 15, Abram and his wife Sarah didn't have a baby. And God says, you're going to have this whole long lineage of life after you. He had no proof in his hand that that would happen. He just believed God and his word. In other words, the Bible says in Genesis 15, says, Abram believed the Lord and God credited it to him as righteousness. Abram believed and was declared righteous before Abram did. Abram hadn't done a thing. And he was immediately, all of a sudden, because he believed God's word, declared righteous. Now, later, God would establish a covenant with Abraham, which means a relationship with Abraham. Later, God would say, I'm going to give you a sign of the relationship that I've begun with you. And that sign of the relationship that I've begun with you was circumcision. I don't know why God couldn't have done a handshake. Seemed like that would have been better. But he said, circumcision is the way I'm going to confirm my relationship with you. God did that. But guess what chapter he did that in? Chapter 17. And so in chapter 15, Abraham was declared righteous. In chapter 17, he finally did something something. He was declared righteous before he did anything. He was declared right with God before there was ever. Abraham wasn't religious. Abraham wasn't obedient. Abraham wasn't good. The only thing that made Abraham right with God was that he believed. So here right up front, let me give you something. I'm going to bless you right now. I'm going to give you something right now that's going to bless you. Quit trying to give God a reason to bless you. Quit trying to give God a reason to bless you. Quit trying to give God a reason to say, yeah, you're right with me, so I'm going to bless you. Quit. If, he, if God's blessing, favor like a shield surrounds the righteous, quit trying to give God a reason to declare you right. So many of us work to try to prove to God that I've done this, I've done that, I haven't done, I'm not as bad as, and God, look at me. God, if you, if we, if we think we can give God a reason to bless us, we make God out to be in debt to us, and God ain't going to be in debt to nobody. You understand? You know why we're surprised when God gives us his favor? I'll tell you why. Because we think that we have to earn his favor. And God says, I'm going to be favorably towards you because I've declared you righteous because you have faith in my son. Regardless of what you've done, I'm going to be good to you. I'm going to bless you with my favor because you are my righteousness. Now, because of faith, you have been declared right. Enjoy the expression of my favor. Do you understand? Quit trying to give God a reason to be good to you. You know, parents... We love to bless our children, right? I mean, we love that. So Caleb's coming home uh, from South Dakota. He got here Friday. And before he showed up, uh, Shelly texted him and said, what do you want to eat? What kind of food do you want at home? Do you know why my wife texted my boy from college and said, what kind of food do you want to have when you walk through the door? I'll tell you why. Because she loves to bless him. You understand what I'm saying? 
She understands what the, gets to my son's heart. And what gets to my boy's heart is food and a lot of food and the food that they like to eat. It's food. So here's the deal. She says, how can I bless you? He responds, this, that, and the other. And she sends me out to get it. And then I bring it home and we put it all in the fridge and the pantry so that when my boy walks in the house, all he does is walk in and say, where's the food? And he starts eating all he wants to start slobbering on him, fills, and passes out in a food coma. And we love to watch it. <laughs> How would it be if we said, all right, boy, come on in. Show me your, uh, uh, you know, report card and show me your driving record and show me. And now if you earned it, you can eat some food. We don't say that. We say, son, we bought you potatoes. We bought you fish. We bought you meat. Eat till your heart's delight. And guess what he does? He does. And we sit back and think, wow, we love it. Right? Just to be clear, because my wife's in this message, she actually bought the food, not me. I just, I wanted part of the blessing somehow, so I threw myself in there. But, um, you think we feed our boys because they gave us a reason to bless them? We feed our boys because we love them. Why do we get it backwards when it comes to God? We think, oh, I can do this and do this and this, maybe I'll be righteous and maybe he'll do something for me. See, righteousness does not carry the responsibility to perform. Oh, that was yeah, yeah, I'm saying, yeah. man. That's a nugget right there. <laughs> righteousness does not carry with it the responsibility to perform. Righteousness is simply received because of God's grace through faith. Righteousness is not bought. Righteousness has been paid for. And through faith, we're declared the righteousness of God. Understand, we're not told to be righteous. We're not told to become righteous. We are told that through faith in Jesus, we become the righteousness of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin perfect, to become sin for us so that in him, Jesus, we might become the very righteousness of God. By faith, not by what we've done. Now, this is really, really important. This is one of those deals of, now watch this. If God declared Abraham righteous before he did anything good, just because he does something bad doesn't then make him unrighteous. You understand? Because he did something bad before he was declared righteous. So he did, before he did anything, he was declared righteous. Just because then he does something bad doesn't make him unrighteous anymore. And that's what we think. And if God blessed Abram before he did anything good, then doing something bad doesn't mean then God cancels him. Because God declaring us right with him is not because of what we've done. That way we don't lose being right with him because of what we do. Does this make sense? Of course it doesn't. Don't say it does. This is confusing. You get it. You, you and Rob, you guys understand this. <laughs> See, here's the thing. Get this. I and God each have a part in this blessing equation. Grace is God's part. Faith is my part. God's part involved work, and that work was done on the cross with Jesus. My work involves faith apart from my work. Do you understand? So then I can stand, regardless of my behavior, as the righteousness of God. 
Paul then goes from Abraham and goes to another man in the Old Testament named David. This guy. In Romans 4, 6 through 8, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And this is when, it, when, when Paul actually quotes David. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord never counts against them. When David in the Old Testament, Paul quotes him here in the New Testament, he uses the word blessed, it means happy. Happy is the one that isn't right with God because of how they have to live. Happy is the one through faith in Jesus is made right with God regardless of how they have lived. Happy is the one that God credits charges to their account. Happy is the one that God credits righteousness being right with God. Happy is the one that God credits to his account being right with God apart from what they do. Paul's quoting here Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. And David actually wrote these words. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no... Do you know what's so profound and liberating about him writing these words? Because he wrote these words right after he was convicted. See, David. David should have been canceled. And this is our answer to cancel. David should have been canceled because of his arrogance, because of his pride, because of his laziness, because of his adultery, because of him contracting for murder to have the woman's husband killed. He should have. Consider everybody in the Bible who, if they were alive in our day and age, would have been canceled. Just consider it for a moment what cancer culture would have done to the people in Scripture. Moses, canceled. Samson, canceled. Jephthah, canceled. David, canceled. Solomon, canceled. Jonah, canceled. Rahab, canceled. Matthew, the disciple, was canceled by his culture because he was a Jewish tax collector. And Jesus came along and uncanceled him. Not by anything they did. Sin because of faith in their relationship with him. See, in Christ and in Christ's church, we are not canceled. Despite our behavior. Here's the truth. God knew what he was getting when he got you. You understand? God knew what he was getting when Jesus decided to die for you. God knew what he was getting when he adopted you as his child. God knew what he was getting in David. God knew what he was getting in Ravi. God knew what he was getting in Bill. God knew what he was getting in me. And God knew what he was getting in you. You didn't somehow, by your mess up, disappoint God because he already knew what he was getting. And contrarily also, nor did you ever impress God by reading your Bible last week. You understand? Whenever we think we do something good that deserves to be blessed by God, God looks at the cross and says, until you do something better than that, you don't impress me. You understand? See, the truth is our successes nor our failures neither impress nor depress God. God is not impressed with us when we get up before sunrise to pray, nor do our failures depress him. Because grace is not about God demanding, grace is about God supplying. And because God has supplied amazing grace, we then live lives of grace. 
from a position of supply, not demand. See, the results of this is as a reflection of God, we extend the grace we've received to a world that needs to know about this God who judges not on behavior. See, ours is a righteousness that is by faith because of God's grace. Ours is not a righteousness by works because of our activity. And so let's, let's take it now and move it from the arena of God to us, to us with each other. Let's think about it differently. We've already established who God is. And we've understood that this is about him, not us. But as followers of him, now we're reflections of this in the world. Consider now, as we relate with others, how much do they, we make them prove their worth to us before we're kind and good and benevolent towards them? I mean, if this is who God is, and this is what we've seen of God, and we're supposed to reflect that to the world, do we? Or do we make them prove to us, and you hurt me once, shame on you. You hurt me twice, I'm done with you. How much do we say, no, 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 because of what I've received, and now, now I'll live justly. Now I'll live righteously because of what I've been given and received. Now think about it for a minute. If you've received grace freely, and been made right with God because of his grace, how must we then treat others differently? Do you understand? Can I give you one more thing? Let's go back to Adam and Eve, like way back in the beginning. Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they're right with God. Adam and Eve are in the garden, they're right with God and right with each other. And the Bible says that they're both naked and unashamed. And let me just say this, this is the standard for marriage to be intimate with each other without shame. To be able to be real and honest and intimate with her without shame. But what happened? They sinned. And with that sin came the awareness of their shame. And once they noticed their nakedness and became aware of shame, they did one thing. They tried to hide from God and hide from each other. That's what sin always makes us do. It makes us try to hide from God and hide from each other. And when they noticed their nakedness and were ashamed, what did they do? What? I heard clothes and I heard covered up. They were not leaves, the skins of animals, because sin requires a blood sacrifice. It was not leaves. The Bible says that God covered them. It does not say God clothed them, and it's an important distinction because they didn't clothe themselves because they were cold. They didn't clothe themselves to protect themselves from UV protection. They didn't clothe themselves as a dormant. They covered themselves to cover their shame because this is what happens with sin. When we sin, we just want to be covered and to hide. Ever since the first sin, humanity has been hiding from God because we're fugitives of him, and we try to cover our shame and our nakedness by our good behavior and marriages have turned 
from a place that was designed for the most intimate and shameless place of vulnerability between a man and a woman and become a place where two people hide from each other and from God in shame and concealment. And you and I, as fugitives of God, run away from him and run away from each other and we create ways that appear to look as though we are covered and right. And what inevitably happens for us is that we end up loving the covering that we might hide in our sin. And we've loved the covering of our nakedness, and we call it good works. And we've convinced ourselves of the lie that we have within us the capacity to do enough things well that our goodness would cover our nakedness and our shame. There are two options, my friends, two options. One option is to be right with God based on your track record and your history and your guarantee of faultless future living. Or the second option, my friends, is to be right with God because Jesus' righteousness has been credited to your account. God has the ability to declare that which is not as though it is. And though we are not righteous in our own activity, we have been declared the righteousness of Almighty God. Now, here's the important thing, and I want you to get this. It is out of sheer gratitude and recognition of God's imputation of righteousness that we then choose to live rightly. The word imputation means the gift of, the credit of. And so for those of us who follow God because he is righteous and we have been declared the righteousness of God through faith, it's out of the sheer gratitude and recognition that he has credited to us as righteousness, then that we now choose to live right. Gone preachers, Carl, this is a good one now, that we reflect that out to the world and to those around us. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not so that we will be righteous. It's because we've already been declared righteous. And out of my gratitude that God would see me in spite of my sin and see me regardless of my future, that he would still continue to call me the righteousness of God, that I then say, thank you, Father. I'm going to reflect that out to the world. It's going to change how I live. This is important. We live righteously as a thanksgiving to God for what God has already done. I don't live righteously so that God will be thankful that I'm living righteously. I live righteously as thanksgiving for what God has done for me. See how simple that is? Now, we do good deeds and we seek justice and we live righteously because we are the righteousness of God if we follow Jesus. And this is the difference between religion and grace. Religion says, here's your rule book. Don't screw up. Here's, here's your list of do's and don'ts. You better keep track of how well you're doing. And what's more, you better keep track of how everybody else is doing. And if you do good, good, good enough. And if you do good long enough. And if you do good well enough, then you might get a little sum sum from God. But if you screw up, the hammer's about to fall. Because you can fall out of God's good grace. You better be careful, religion says. And we get it so bass backwards. And God says, this is not a rule book. This is a revelation. And when you understand the revelation of who I am and just reflect that in the world, you are and forever will be the righteousness of mine through faith. 
If you, if we understand that we are the righteousness of God, how would our prayers change as one who's approaching the throne of grace as the righteousness of God? How differently would we, if in every circumstance and situation, we approach it as if we are the righteousness of God in this moment, how would that look different? How would I respond to my customers if I'm approaching them as the righteousness of God? How would I change my, what I look at online if I'm looking at my computer screen as the righteousness of God? How would I respond to you in if this instance of interaction? I respond to you as the righteousness of God. I will respond to you as the righteousness of God, not so that I will be righteous, Righteous, but because I am already. Do you understand? If you don't come to faith, if you don't come to God through faith in Jesus, let me just tell you this. You stand condemned and unrighteous and nothing you do will ever change that. trying to be good. But the good news of the Bible, the good news of the gospel of Christ is that it can all be changed, not by behavior, but by faith, by grace through faith in Jesus. You become the righteousness. Can you imagine being the righteousness of God? Listen, don't nullify righteousness by trying to be good enough and work for it. By faith in Jesus, just receive it. Because at the end of the day, as I read my Bible, I'm reminded of Psalm 512 that we started with. By faith, become the righteousness of God. Because for the righteous, God will surround them with his favor as with a shield. You want God to surround you with his favor as with a shield. Become the righteousness of God. Has nothing to do with how you've lived. Has nothing to do with how you're living. Has nothing even to do with what's going to happen tomorrow. It has to do with your faith in Christ and Christ alone. Jesus didn't die on a cross for nothing. It wasn't for nothing that he shed his blood. It was so that we could have a relationship with him through faith. And then to receive the imputation of righteousness. And then as the righteous of God, he surrounds me with his favors, with a shield, so that I get to walk home at spring break and walk to a refrigerator and a pantry full of food for my enjoyment. Do you understand? Do you understand? I don't feel like you do. Is it a little too much right now? I'm telling you, man, if I, here's my, like if I said as, as our parting gift today, everybody who walks out the door is going to get $1,000 cash. I feel like you might be more excited about that than what I just shared with you. Like, like don't let the, don't be more excited about anything else than this. Like this is, this is really, 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 really good news. 
And what it does is it liberates you and it frees you and it takes the constraints off you. See, here's what we used to be slaves to and chained to behavior. And now God says, no, I want to give you my righteousness. You don't deserve it. You know who you are. I know who you are. You don't deserve it. But I want to give it to you by faith. And now I'm set free from the bondage and set free from the chains and set free from the rules. Now I can just respond to God in love and it changes who I am. It changes who I am in you. You understand? I feel like I need to quit talking. I feel like we need to pray. I mean, I feel like we need to sing. And I want you to pray in this moment if you follow Jesus with your life in faith. I want you to pray like the righteousness of God. And if you have a relationship with Jesus through faith, I want you to sing like the righteousness of God. God, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've not asked us to perform like good little circus animals for your pleasure. God, thank you that you've asked us simply to believe in faith, in your son and what he did on the cross. And because of that faith, you have imputed to us righteousness. And because we are the righteousness of you, your own word says that you surround us with your favor as with this shield. And so we stand back in gratitude of the righteousness that you've given to us despite of who we are. And we stand back in gratitude of the favor that you surround our lives. We'll not look at it a second time. We'll just simply give thanks for it, Father. You are righteous. We just want to reflect. It wasn't for nothing, Jesus, that you shed your blood. And we're going to live because now our shame of obedience and our shame of failure is gone. We love you. Listen. Will you guys stand?